Chapter Thirty Seven of the Wild Huntress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Wild Huntress by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Thirty Seven. A Lookout from Aloft. It cost us a fatiguing ride of nearly twelve hours' duration, most of it along by-roads and bridle-paths, at intervals passing through tracts of swampy soil, where our horses sank to the saddle-girths in mud. We rode continuously, stopping only once to recruit our horses at one of the stands, or isolated log hostelries, which are found upon old traces, connecting the sparse settlements of the backwoods. It was the only one we saw upon our route and at it we remained no longer than was absolutely necessary to rest our wearied steeds and put them in a condition for the completion of the journey we knew the necessity of haste our only hope lay in being able to reach the mouth of the obion before the canoe could pass out of it otherwise our journey would be in vain and we should not only have our long ride for nothing but would be under the necessity of doubling the distance by riding back again along the route we found time to discuss the circumstances both those in our favour and against us the waterway taken by the canoe was far from being direct both the creek and the larger stream curved repeatedly in their courses and in ordinary times were of sluggish current the freshet however produced by the late rainstorm had rendered it swifter than common and we knew that the canoe would be carried down with considerable rapidity faster than we were travelling on horseback on such roads for so great a distance fast travelling was impossible and could only have been accomplished at the risk of killing our horses mounted as i was i might have made more of the time but i was under the necessity of slackening my pace for my companion whose sorry steed constantly required waiting for our sole chance lay in our route being shorter and in the circumstance that the fugitives had not a very long start of us but for all this the issue was exceedingly doubtful and by the nicest calculations we were satisfied we should have but little margin to spare i need hardly point out the importance of our arriving in time should the canoe get beyond the mouth of the obion without our seeing it we should be left undetermined as to whether they had gone up the mississippi or down and therefore altogether without a guide as to our future movements in fact we should be unable to proceed further in the pursuit so far as the mouth of the obion their route was fixed and of course ours was also determined but beyond it would be on our part mere blind guessing and should evil chance conduct us in the wrong direction the result would be ruin to our prospects on the other hand could we but arrive in time if only to see the canoe entering the great river and note which turning it took our purpose would be accomplished that is our present purpose for beyond that of ascertaining their route of travel across the plains and their point of destination i had formed no plans to follow them wherever they might go even to the distant shores of the pacific to seek them wherever they might settle, to settle beside them, beside her. These were the ideas I had as yet but vaguely conceived. All ulterior designs were contingent on the carrying out of these, and still shrouded under the clouded drapery of the ambiguous future. The purposes of my travelling companion differed slightly from mine, and were perhaps a little more definite. His leading idea was a settlement of all scores with Stebbins for wrongs done to him which he now more particularly detailed to me they were sufficiently provocative of revenge and from the manner of my comrade and the vows he occasionally uttered i could perceive that he would be as eager in the pursuit as myself 
in all probability an encounter with the migrating party would bring about an important change in their programme since the young hunter was determined as he expressed himself to force a darn skunk into a foot inspired by such motives we pressed on to the end of our journey and reached the mouth of the obion after a long and wearisome ride it was midnight when we arrived upon the shore of the mississippi at its point of confluence with the Tennessean stream, the land upon which we stood was scarcely elevated above the surface of the water, and covered every foot of it with a forest of cottonwood poplar and other water-loving trees. These, extending along the marshy borders of both streams, hindered us from having a view of their channels. To obtain this it was necessary to climb one of the trees, and my comrade being disabled, the task devolved on me dismounting i chose one that appeared easiest of ascent and clambering up it as high as i could get i fixed myself in a fork and commenced duty as a vidette my position could not have been better chosen it afforded me a full view not only of the obion's mouth but also of the broad channel into which it emptied at their confluence forming an expanse of water that but for its rolling current might have been likened to a vast lake there was moonlight over the whole surface and the erratic ripples were reflected in sparkling coruscations scarcely to be distinguished from the gleaming of the lightning-bugs that hovered in myriads along the hedges of the marsh both banks of the lesser stream were draped to the water's edge with an unbroken forest of cottonwoods the tops of which exhibiting their characteristic softness of outline were unstirred by the slightest breeze between rolled the brown waters of the obion in ruder grander flow and with channel extended by the freshet every inch of it from side to side was under my observation so completely that i could distinguish the smallest object that might have appeared upon its surface not even the tiniest waif could have escaped me much less a canoe freighted with human beings and containing that fairer form that would be certain to secure the keenest and most eager glances of my eye i congratulated myself on reaching this perch i perceived that a better post of observation could not have been chosen it was complete for the purpose and if i could only have felt sure that we had arrived in time all would have been satisfactory time alone would determine the point and turning my eyes upstream i entered upon my earnest vigil End of chapter thirty seven